podcast playback device of choice, whatever it may be, is not deceiving you, we actually did a show two weeks in a row. Well, you say that now. We haven't completed this show yet. If you're listening to this show, (laughs) we actually managed to complete it. Right now, you know, as you're recording, clearly the jury's still out. (laughs) However, if you can hear what we're saying, we pulled it off. That is true. Didn't I predict that we would have a show every week in July? Well, hang on. I, I have some some feedback about us doing a second show. Back-to-back shows? <laughs> I say to all the doubters, dude! Okay. Alrighty. I got no response to that whatsoever. <laughs> Our goal is a show every week in the month of July. We are now two for two so far. I, you know, I like a show in every week in July. I mean, it, it, it's not nearly as poetic as Vomit Free since 93, but it is more entertaining. Well, yes, <laughs> and you are not Ted Mosby. Um, so, yes, a show every week in July. Although, I think the last weekend in July we are not having a show. Actually, we might be having a show. So shooting for... Stay tuned. Yeah, that that's... that's maybe we'll make it, maybe we won't. <laughs> that's edge of your seat stuff right there. All right, but we're two for two for so far, so let's keep this uh, party going. I'm sure that as we launch into this week's show, that we couldn't possibly have any catch-ups or anything that came out of last week's show that we need to revisit. Amazingly, we actually, not only do we have to revisit something from last week's show, we are about to share something that, in all honesty, in all of the years that we have followed Formula One, since 2012 and it may even go back even further than that i do not recall something like this ever happening oh so 10 plus years we are potentially about to have a first no i mean this is amazing first we've done back-to-back shows and we're about to announce a first for I think this is a first. I am fairly certain. If if nothing else, this is something that does not happen very often. So what I am referring to is something that happened this past Saturday. And actually, I have to go back to last week's show. You'll recall the absolute shambolic interview. Excellent use of the word shambolic yeah. in a sentence. The the absolute shambolic interview that Bernie Eccleston gave to ITV's Good Morning Britain that we spoke at length about last week and shared bits and pieces of last week. So not surprisingly, and, and it was part of the reason why it caught our attention in the first place, there's been a bit of backlash to Bernie's no. Now, that is not the rare thing. I mean, Bernie Eccleston making comments that there's backlash, not at all unusual. What is unusual is that yesterday, Saturday, or Saturday, July 9th, mm-hmm. Sky Sports aired from Bernie Eccleston an apology for his comments. Wait, wait a minute. He was self-aware enough to actually say the words, 
I'm sorry. Well, because, you know, in fairness, because I knew that last week that there was no way I could do justice to what Bernie said. And I brought everyone Bernie's words. I have Bernie's words this week. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm ready. It's probably good for me to get some things off my chest as well, things that have been bothering me about what I said and what people think what I've said. So I think that's how they, often people, I think, come out and say things or do things that, without really too much thinking. Probably I did the same. And I could understand people thinking that I'm a de defending what is done in Ukraine, which I don't. I was brought up during the war the last war so I know what it's like and I feel sorry for the people in Ukraine having to suffer for something they haven't done they've done nothing wrong they didn't start anything and they've done nothing they want to get on with their life they wanted the kids to go to school and try and go to work and earn a living to keep the family going so they don't deserve to have to suffer it's not good for anybody can't see anyone getting anything out of this and I think they should get together and get an agreement and I'm sorry if it's up anything I've said it's upset anybody because it certainly wasn't intended so I'll give him credit for the apology but the thing that struck me about this and if you listen closely you can hear it in the audio but when you watch the video you can definitely see it this was very highly edited, and I don't know why. This is as released from Sky. That's the audio that you've heard, and there was video that went with it. Both are very highly edited, and not edited from a production value standpoint. There are clearly gaps and clearly things that were cut out, and this was patched together, at least in two different spots, possibly three. And I don't know why. Hmm. Well, I could theorize a lot of things. I'm going to go with my only theory that I will say out loud is that I have a sneaking feeling that Bernie's goal for his apology was stated up front. And yet Bernie does tend to ramble. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if Bernie's people or somebody got a hold of Sky and said, the goal was the apology. Let's edit this and edit some rambling out. Um, there's that. I don't know and won't, yeah, won't I don't know. make a, a guess as to whether or not the message itself changes based on the editing. However... I'm not me if I don't point out something very interesting about the words. Now, I didn't watch the video, mm -hmm. so I'm working on just those words. Well, that's the other thing is the video was a cell phone video. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe Sky got it edited. It may have been. Anyway, um, very interesting. He heartfelt apology for the things he said. Um, claimed that, you know, people say things without thinking, and Bernie is definitely known for that. Mm -hmm. Give him credit. Give him, you know, points on that. However, he goes to 
the situation with Ukraine says that they did nothing wrong. He is correct. Mm-hmm. I agree with him on that. However, he does say that they should come to an agreement. And this is where I have a problem. If the oppressed have done nothing wrong, the invaded have done nothing wrong, then why would they come to an agreement as opposed to unilaterally pull out of Ukraine? Yeah. I I think that because that's a lot of the thread that ran through Bernie's comments last week that we took umbrage with was this idea that he thinks that Ukraine is not coming to the table to negotiate. I'm not entirely sure that Ukraine feels that they need to negotiate. Or that they should have to negotiate. So so at this point, though, I do think that there is a need for Ukraine to negotiate and that Ukraine does need to negotiate, but not for why you think. Okay. Because it's not a matter of they should be seeking, you know, what I see it is Ukraine should be negotiating with Russians, with Russia for reparations and payback for the damage that has done. Exactly. That 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 would so, be so. In in terms of negotiations and in terms of an agreement, yes, I believe there should be one, but it should be recognizing the fact that uh, Ukraine and the Ukrainians are the aggrieved party here, not the Russians. Right. <laughs> so right. I I, I, w- I will make that distinction because I think it is important. I, and I think you're right. I did. I was not thinking in terms of reparations and things like that. I was thinking that step one is a unilateral removal from Ukraine and stop bombing them. That would be like start there. But the thing is, I don't think that a unilateral withdrawal is enough at this point. And, and I think you're right. And I also firmly, you know, I'm I'm thrilled to hear that the UN and NATO are investigating war crimes and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are not a political show, shockingly. You wouldn't there's guess a that. Reason there's been a unicorn for the last four months as our cover art. <laughs> yes, we are supposed to be a unicorn shaker, a unicorn chaser, not a political punditry. But apparently, we're shaking. What comes out of unicorns when you shake them? Rainbow poo. Okay, that's what happens. And well, hence- if you shake them too much, you get rainbow vomit. But. Vomit free since 93. <laughs> um, speaking of which, I think we've got some birds outside of our studio that are a little drunk on some uh, service berries. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I think that we need to get back to Formula One, for which we have all agreed we are thankful that Bernie is not actually involved with anymore. We are, but I'm, I'm actually quite serious. I cannot recall a time in the 10 years that we have followed Formula One that I have heard Bernie issue an apology for anything that he's done. You are correct. He has justified his poor wording, mm-hmm. his poor statements. He's defended, double downed even, yeah. on things. Uh, an apology, edited or not, not not something we've ever heard from Bernie. Um so I'm not, I'm not sure who twisted his arm, but I kind of feel like somebody did. Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised by that. So the other thing that we have to revisit, mm-hmm. c- 
because and, and this let, let, let's be honest we're going to hear bits and pieces about this probably at least for the, the rest of the season as the investigation continues around the performance of the safety structures on um, Joe Guan Yu's uh, Alfa Romeo in the crash last weekend mm-hmm. in, in Silverstone. Um, so need to clarify a little bit because we were a little confused last week. The difference between the roll hoop and roll structure and the halo. Okay. So we're familiar with the halo. The halo is obviously the piece that goes around the cockpit and has saved four drivers' lives, including Joe Guan Yu. That's the Y-shaped thing that comes to a point right in front of the driver's face. Yes. Yes. I just want to be like crystal clear. Yes. But above the air intake behind the driver, what we commonly think of as an antenna and a camera mount is that Mm T-structure. That T-structure is the roll hoop. Okay. The roll hoop for Joe's car was ripped clean off the car at the first impact. Wow. So that's the confusion there is... The halo stayed with the car. The halo protected Joe and saved his life. The roll hoop was ripped off the car at the first impact when it went upside down. Well, I remember when they picked that car up, everything from the air intake back was gone. Was gone. Mm-hmm. Basically from where his head was backwards, anything that was above his head mm-hmm. backwards was gone. At this point, the estimate is that the impact there was, the the forces of that impact was twice the level that the FIA tests for, for resiliency of that structure. Wow. Wow. It it could have gone so wrong, and it didn't, Mm -hmm. and I'm thankful for that. But you just have to think about the years. I mean, we're talking 60 years of Formula One and how far they've come to the fact that we now have parts that can have twice the impact that they're tested for and the drivers still walk away from the track, from the crash. Well, I, I, I just, you, it's all of those systems together that matter. It's not one piece that's going to save their lives. It's all of those pieces. Well, this is now the third crash or the fourth crash in the last 10 years and and I only say 10 years because I don't remember the exact year the halo was introduced that a driver well we said it four crashes period that a driver his life was saved by this halo and if it wasn't for the halo we they wouldn't be around anymore Mm mm-hmm yeah. Um, I'm thrilled that they came up with a design that's workable. Um, you know, we don't have to love it as far as looks go, but looks is not what saves lives. So um, we got we to gotta be thankful that they did this. And I think it was about 2018 that the Halo came out, 2018, 2019. It hasn't been that long. It hasn't, it, it hasn't been that long. But I don't remember whether it was 16 or 17 or 18. 
I don't think it was 19, but I could be wrong. So, moving on. Mm-hmm. This past week, actually it was Friday, the, F, the FIA's F1 commission met. Uh, several topics were discussed. One was the uh, 2026 engine rules. and Basically, all they provided was an update. They, have, they do not have the finalized package. The finalized package was supposed to be done by now. It is not done by now. That's an issue in its own right. We'll get to that. Um, but the other big topic that was discussed was um, the budget cap. And, you know, we all know Christian Horner is very upset over the budget cap. And several of the larger teams have all come straight out said McLaren and Ferrari in particular said yeah we, we if you leave it put we are not going to uh, be able to stay underneath it this year it's just mm-hmm. not happening now the four smallest teams have been like suck it up dude <laughs> we've <laughs> been dealing we with can, this yeah. for, like this for years if we can do it you can do it and the other teams are yeah it's just nope we need something done um, so there was an agreement I guess and, and it's a small increase. There is a provision for already for the budget cap to get a 3% increase as a result of inflation and prevailing economic conditions. That was already happening, it sounds like. What they agreed to was instead of a 3% increase, a 3.1% increase. Nine out of 10 teams approved it. The last doctor, the, the the last team is also talking with the the fifth dentist for Trident. Mm-hmm. So you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, but the teams seem to be okay with this, but we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Also, keep in mind that point one percent is still a lot of zeros when it you're is. dealing with this many zeros to start with. Well, you're talking the the cap is it? I think it's one forty five. This year, I think it was 140 last year, and 145 this year, 145 million dollars this year. So you're talking um, 1.4 million dollar increase with that one percent. It's not one percent; it's a tenth of a percent. A tenth, of, tenth of a percent. So you said 100 and 140 thousand dollar increase. One engineer's salary. No. You said $145 million, Yeah. Correct? Yep. Times... There we go. Yes, $145,000. I was trying to make it $1.4 million, but it's not. It was doing 10%. Yeah. That was not the correct. Math is hard. <clears throat> I, th- I think that'll probably cover some of the logistics for a race. Some. Yeah. But if it helps them. So they've agreed to that. Um, they've also, there's been some discussions. They, they have not um, agreed to anything as of yet, but they discussed tighter limits for curfews on personnel working in the paddock. Um, they were already introduced as part of this year as part of the revised race weekend format. There are additional changes that they want to make. Basically, now that they understand the impact of what they rolled out, it's the, well, where else can can we fine-tune and tweak mm-hmm. the, these curfew requirements? 
it's we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, they also agreed that, um, and it was the majority of the teams, that next year's preseason test can be held outside of Europe four days before the opening round of the year. Essentially what this does is, is it allows Bahrain to host the preseason test. But it sounds like only one test right now. Hmm. But one test four days before the start of the season is... Nothing. Nothing. And that's not a test. I mean, because they're not going to go back to the factory and fix anything. Not really. Yeah. Um, the other thing that they agreed to do was, you'll recall we talked a few weeks ago about the revised rules and, and the measurement, the metric they were, were going to have around porpoising and the flexi floors and, and stiffening That was again and, last week. Last week. Um, they have originally that was supposed to be enforced in at Paul Ricard for the French Grand Prix. That has now been pushed back to Spa. Couple of reasons for it. One seems to be well. First of all, Red Bull's got a problem because it was issued as a, te- a technical directive. Technical directives are not supposed to be rules changes during the season. Right. So Red Bull is like, hey, um, if, if you're going to do this, do this right. So that's part of the reason for the delay is to, I guess, figure out how they can implement it in a way that won't piss off Red Bull, who's right to be correct that you've decided technical directive is a regulation. So they got to figure that one out. But the other one is that it sounds like they're learning a little bit more about the whole flexifloor thing that we talked about last week. Oh. Um. It sounds like some of the teams have found ways to run their cars lower to the ground than their rivals through more flexible floor components. Now, again, that sounds like what we talked about last week, but one thing to remember, in order to enforce the minimum ride, or, or yeah, the minimum ride height of the cars, they have those skid blocks that they put on the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, the skid blocks that create the sparks. Right. So the rule is, because there's the expectation that those skid blocks are going to hit the ground, especially with the sparks, they can't be worn down more than a a set amount during the race. Right. If they are, your car is too low and you get a penalty. So apparently what some of the teams have figured out how to do is to split up the skid blocks specifically the skid blocks that protect the holes where the FIA plank thickness measurements are taken. They split it up into several sections. There's a main skid block that runs around the majority of the hole, then a more rearward section that moves up and down independently within the plank to become fully enclosed and protected if the car hits the ground. Do you see the problem here? I see the problem. They're basically making the skid block go away and not wear like it's supposed to. Yeah, that's a problem. Now the question will be, is this a finding the edge of the rules and dancing just inside them? Or is this a matter of flagrantly ignoring the rules or ignoring only addressing the parts of the rules that they say we're measuring this thing and since this other part is not where they're measuring it 
like there's no rule that says you have to keep the skid block completely stationary and not sucked up into the car to disappear right one would think that that's the spirit of the rule but maybe there's not a rule for that well it's if you think about the fact that you're not i mean and and it's been this way for years other than drs you're not allowed to have aerodynamic features of the car move beyond allowable limits correct so you have an aerodynamic feature of the car that is moving so much that it affects one of the regulating devices and the accuracy of the regulating device that says to me you're in violation of the rules i would agree no matter how you look at it you're in it doesn't matter if you can go and hand the fia a skid block that was mounted on the bottom of the car that didn't get worn down the nine millimeters that that made it illegal the fact of the matter is you're not giving them all the skid block because you figured out a way to make something move like it's not supposed to well essentially you took the skid block off the car while it ran and then you're handing them this theoretically semi-pristine skid block and saying see the car didn't ride lower than it was supposed to but they have no way of knowing because the whole floor moved but the problem that i have is how is it that nobody at the fia looked at the teams that were doing this and said hey why is the skid block so small they didn't look at the bottom of the car when they were when they were testing the thickness and said gee there's a skid block over here that's this long and a skid block over here that's this long but at the end of the race when you present your skid block for inspection we only see one skid block and it's not that long what's going on here how is it that nobody turned around and said gee something fishy is happening here i i for all the scrutineering that the fia does and all the monitoring in the garages how they missed this one i don't understand i i don't either but then again i think the fia assumes that people are going to follow the spirit of the rules and that's not the way adrian newey is oh i said that in my out loud voice adrian (laughs) newey is wired yeah so there there's going to be a delay until spa to enforce the rules possibly so that the fia can figure out the how they're going to measure this well i think it's a matter of you're going to go and you're going to look under the car and say okay you need to account for every skid block you have underneath the car and when we do our measurements you bring us all the skid blocks not just the ones you feel like it no no that's not what i think is happening from what i understood it's not that they're not bringing them all the skid blocks it's that there is a skid block that okay so let's pretend because i don't know i have not read my technical regulations let's pretend that they need a four inch square skid block Mm -hmm. and this t-max i'm not going to name them um, Team X has taken this four inch square and divided it into four one inch square skid blocks mm-hmm. strategically placed on their floor. Now, they have met the technical re- regulation that says you must have a four inch 
skid block or four inches of skid block is probably the way it's written. And they're like, we, we have net four square inches of skid block. We've got them positioned in other parts of the floor to prove that we're not flexing this floor. But what they are actually doing is the floor is now flexing the two one inch skid blocks that are now in the back of the floor, for example, when the floor flexes under down force, they're being pulled up just ever so slightly mm -hmm. so that they're not getting the damage that they right. should be getting. And then they turn in their four skid blocks. They've got wear and tear on the front two one inch skid blocks, but the back two skid blocks have not seen asphalt because they're being sucked up. They're still turning them in. It's not that they're not turning the skid block in, it's that they are undamaged. Well, what they say is up until now, teams only needed to ensure enough thickness at one area of the hole. We talked about these holes. Only need to ensure thickness at one area of the hole to comply with the rules. So the movable part of the skid would have no problem passing this because they only needed to bring the skid by the hole. Right. That was moving. Right. So that's the thing. That's the yeah. thing is they're bringing them the right pieces. But what they're doing is that the floor is bending where that mm -hmm. hole is and popping it up. So the whole car is riding it, you know, 12 centimeters close to the to the ground when it should be at 14 centimeters. Yeah. And those numbers are not correct. Somebody do not read the technical regulations and tell me that I'm uh, wrong. I believe it is, it may actually be like nine millimeters. And that's the flex in the floor. The floor cannot move nine millimeters, or the skid block cannot lose more than nine millimeters. Yeah. The tolerance for the, for the floor movement is one millimeter. Right. But the skid block cannot be less than nine millimeters or lose nine millimeters. In I thickness. think it's that they can't lose more than nine millimeters. Sorry, I didn't pull up the technical, the technical regulations around the skid blocks. Don't worry, uh, audience. We will, we will flog him later for not reading the technical regulations. So that came out of the... Um, F1 commission meeting, which then leads to the, you, you heard the comment today, if you watch the broadcast, that the head of the Porsche group was at the Red Bull ring this weekend, Yes, which was leading to speculation that there was going to be an announcement. Yes, that is exactly what was said on Sky Sports today, Sunday. There was no announcement. And there's been, the, the rumor mill has been churning for the last two weeks that something was coming this weekend. Hmm. So the question is, well, why not? So it is very clear that Porsche is talking to Red Bull and in very close consultation with Red Bull about possibility of what's going on. And we think that there was a hope that they were going to make an announcement. What it sounds like was the holdup was the fact that what was presented at the F1 commission on Friday was not the rule, the engine, the 2026 engine rules for approval. What was presented was an update on the effort to finalize the rules. Mm. And that until that comes up for approval, Porsche is not going to pull the trigger. They're not going to commit until they know what the rules look like. Right. 
even though they're fair, they've been part of it. They, they are well informed of what these discussions look like until they're agreed upon. Porsche isn't going to make the move. I believe there is towards the end of August or September is the next World Motorsport or the, the next F1 commission meeting. The other potential place where this could be approved if there's not a, a F1 commission meeting is the World Motorsport Council, but that's not until like October. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll see what happens here, but that's what appears to be the holdup. The other rumor that has been flying around and has been picking up speed is that Audi is trying to make a play for Alfa Romeo now. And actually, to be clear, it's Alfa's trying to buy the underlying Sauber component of the team because Alfa Romeo is really more of a a sponsorship than a technical piece. That would be interesting if Audi owned the team and Alpha was the sponsor. I mean, that well, can't possibly be the way they were going to do that. I, I think what they would end up doing is they would leave the naming rights in place for the remainder of the Alfa Romeo deal, which I think is only for the next year or two. Um, I don't think they signed another long-term deal, and then Audi would move in. Mm. And we don't know when that's going to get announced either officially, but that's probably also tied up with the engine rigs. Probably. So, this weekend. So I, I. I won't play the. I won't play the club this year. Okay. Um. I have a new name for the Red Bull Ring Styrian Grand Prix. Well, it's not the Styrian Grand Prix. That was the. Um, oh, that was the year that they had the two. Yes. The two shit. So the uh, Austrian, the Austrian Grand Prix, I have a new name for it. It's the Grand Prix of Penalties. Possibly the Grand Penalty. Yeah. (laughs) So the stewards were definitely on fire this weekend. I I felt like they were, was Oprah a steward? You get a penalty and you get a penalty and you get a penalty. Uh, Five second penalties all the way around. Everybody gets a penalty. Well, let's be clear. It wasn't just during the race that penalties were happening. It was before the sprint. It was during qualifying. It was off track. I'm telling Drivers you, were getting penalties. Maybe Oprah was one of the stewards this weekend. And, you know, I, we've said before when we talked about track limits, of, of let, let, let's end this game of, well, we're going to enforce them here on this corner and this corner and not on this corner. Mm-hmm. And how much we have pushed for that. And I think that's kind of what we saw this weekend. And we saw a very rigorous enforcement of those track lines. That's not what I had a problem with over it. What I had a problem with was the fact that all of a sudden in Austria, after how many races in, and, and by the way, we didn't hear any kind of announcement like we've heard. Heck, we get an announcement when they're only enforcing track limits on certain corners. We didn't get any announcement about what they were enforcing for track limits this weekend. It was just all of a sudden penalty after penalty after penalty after penalty. 
And what we saw on Saturday in the sprint race was not what we saw in the Grand Prix. Because I find it hard to believe that drivers were not exceeding track limits to the same extent on Saturday as they were on Friday in qualifying and Sunday in the race. Yeah, and it seems Because I don't recall any warnings for drivers for exceeding track limits. I don't recall any black and white flags for drivers for exceeding track limits in the sprint race. But yet, within the first 10 laps, we were seeing black and white flags come black out. Black and yellow flags. Black and... No, it's black, black and, and white, white. Black and white flags is a checkered flag, isn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> black and yellow. Black and yellow flags penalty. You're right. You're welcome. Sorry. But, okay. So, do you happen to have a rundown of the... The penalties. Well, let let's start with. I'm I'm not going to talk about the the time deletions in qualifying. Those are normal. I will, however, talk about. Actually, let's start with with Perez because Perez was an issue. Okay. So and and that happened on Friday. So Perez, you'll notice right if you remember right after the start of Q3, or towards it, it, right after the flag had dropped at the end of Q2. There was the announcement that Perez was under investigation for exceeding track limits. Now, and if everybody they would else review it after qualifying. Yeah. Now, everybody else who had exceeded track limits had lap times deleted fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Sergio's time in Q2 didn't get deleted, and they had to go back to it. Now, the stewards' excuse. Or explanation. I, I was going to say, this statement. Their explanation for what happened was that they were really busy. Handing out penalties and right. deleting track times. Ba- basically, there were so many laps deleted that they lost track of Sergio's lap that needed to get deleted. Which, so that's problematic. At some point, it's one thing in my mind. It's one thing in my mind that... I'm a huge proponent of white lines are there. You don't mm-hmm. get to create your own track. you got to work within the track that you're given. I'm a huge believer in that. And nobody will say mm-hmm. I have not preached that. But at some point, if every single driver on the grid is exceeding track limits at the same corner regularly, perhaps they need to look at the track. I'm not going to go there. Because... Oh, you know, the, the argument that we have and that we have always had around track limits is that whether all the drivers do it or whether they're gaining advantage or not, if there was a wall there instead of a white line, they wouldn't go anywhere near it. Yeah. So the driver, in, instead of reviewing the track, I, I will say the drivers do need to review their behavior in and around that corner because if it was a wall there they'd either hit it or they'd stay away from it so but and i also know that the the drivers were saying that they couldn't see it like they well there was a sightline issue they were pushing the limit as much as they could because they were going off the track three wheels Mm -hmm. and they were trying to get that 
um, right side or, or that left no it was the right side tire trying to get it as close to the line if not on the line as possible without crossing the line but it's hard to judge that mm-hmm. but again if that white line was a wall this wouldn't be an issue so I, I don't think it should be looking at that looking at the design of the track what I do think is that truly if you're going to make it the habit and make it the rule that you're going to you're going to rigidly enforce track limits especially across the entire track then it's no longer a steward's decision you put in a timing loop and when the beam is broken automatically the computer deletes the time at the point it happens and you're done Mm -hmm. and i think that's where the failing was here was that because it's not automatic they're waiting for the stewards to go and catch it and make the call and do the adjustment and when you've got a corner that everybody is blowing over and shouldn't be the stewards get overwhelmed yes that's what i think should happen it needs to be automatic well there's that um, and then it could also give some feedback in the car with a little red light or something mm-hmm. that said you exceeded. And you know, there, there's some there's some other pieces of this puzzle. Actually, what I think they should it shouldn't be a red light, vibrating seat. It should be its own penalty. You get zapped. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. This is not Mario Kart. You don't get bounced out of your cart because you're hit a mushroom or something. Hook it right up to the MGUH, so that way instead of diverting the power to the battery, it diverts the power to the driver's butt. No, no, no. It's one way to make sure that they do not go over the line. No. Because when Verstappen runs Hamilton off the road, the last thing I want to hear is, not only did he run me off the road, I got a shock because I exceeded track limits because Verstappen ran me off the road. That's true. You know, I could see a lot of the deliberate pushing drivers off to zap them. Yeah. I, I could see that you happening. No. That, that, that would be a problem. Yeah. All right. I, I, I could see that. So, okay. So there was all the lap time deletions on Friday. So then we get to Saturday and we get to the sprint race. And we find out that not one, not two, but seven drivers got pulled in under investigation for uh, potential violations of start procedures. Um, it, it was an alleged breach, of, by the way, of Article 33.1, which states that drivers must drive the car alone and unaided. Mm-hmm. So what happened was, as you'll recall, we had to abandon the start of the race because of the weird situation with Fernando Alonso. And why is the car still on a jack and the tire blankets on and the formation lap is starting? This is not good. Um, <laughs> hey, guys. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> guys. This is a problem. I mean, it wasn't the steering wheel. <laughs> Um, um, I'm not getting traction, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it wasn't even that. Apparently what happened was the team was trying to troubleshoot a problem that started a few minutes before the start of the race. The entire car went dark. Mm. It was a complete and total electrical failure of the car. Wow. Yeah. So 
they were trying to sort that out and ran out of time. So that left Fernando stranded there. The seven drivers who got called in, um, Mick Schumacher, Spashendale, Esteban Ocon, Daniel Ricciardo, Sergio Perez, Lance Stroll, and George Russell, because they got additional messages over the radio from the team as a result of the aborted start procedure. So as a result of the investigation, they looked back and said, yeah, you know, this was an abnormal situation. We had to abort the start. The, the messages that occurred during that period between these drivers and the teams were appropriate for the scenario. So they let them get away with it. Okay. So that was that. So then we find out that Saturday night, the Saturday night after the sprint race, Sebastian Vettel was handed a suspended 25,000 euro fine for storming out of the driver's briefing the night before. Okay, so please tell me you know what made him so mad. So the discussion at the driver's meeting was around race stewarding and enforcement of the rules. One of the things that was noted and that the drivers were a little bit frustrated about was that compared to previous races, the driving standards that were enforced in Silverstone were not the same as everywhere else. And the drivers were getting frustrated by it again. Mm -hmm. So Sebastian apparently got so frustrated that he got up and walked out. Um, However, according to the FIA, their statement that they issued, the driver, Sebastian Vettel, left the driver's meeting that was held at 1930 on Friday, 8 July, without permission and expressing frustration at the meeting. Drivers are not free to leave when they want, this being a breach of the requirement to attend. Drivers at this level are role models for every driver around the world, and in the opinion of the stewards, Vettel failed to live up to that standard in this case. Subsequently, Vettel had a meeting with the race director who informed the stewards that Vettel apologized without reservation and that further they had a very constructive conversation covering the topics in the meeting and more. Save the bees. (laughs) The stewards determined that there is a breach which cannot go without penalty, but that based on a report from the race director, there are factors in mitigation. So yeah. 25,000 euro fine suspended for the remainder of the season subject to any breach of article 20.1 of the FIA Formula One sporting regulations or of article 12.2.1F of the International Sporting Code. So it means that Seb will only be required to pay the fine should he fail to attend a driver's briefing throughout the remainder of the year or breach the International Sporting Card article that states any words, deeds, or writings that have caused moral injury or loss to the FIA, its bodies, its members, or its executive officers, and more generally on the interest of motorsport and on the values defended by the FIA. Okay. So that was that penalty. Okay. Then we get to the race. And the penalties were flying. Now, Norris's penalty, or not Norris's, um, Russell's penalty. Now, that was consistent with um, previous years. Martin Brundle called that out. 
And that's one of the things that they had to look at was, you know, they gave other people that same five-second penalty based on pushing somebody off the track. And I'm still not sure I agree with... I mean, there was plenty of room. Right. There was plenty of room on either side of the drivers. So I'm still not sure I agree with the penalty, but at I don't least think they we were ag- consistent. I don't think we agreed with it when they gave the previous penalties either. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah we, we didn't agree with it when Norris and Perez got into the tangle and had it. But I'll agree with the consistency, and I'll support the consistency piece of that penalty. But again, I go back to, for every one of those track limit warnings and track limit penalties that happened, I find it hard to believe that it didn't happen on Sunday in the spring race. Exactly. And we didn't hear the warnings. We didn't hear the flags getting thrown. We didn't hear any of that stuff. So I, I question why and what the difference was on Saturday compared to Sunday. I know. <clears throat> Ultimately, though, at the end of the race, with everything that flew, Lando Norris, Joe Guanyu, Pierre Gasly, and Sebastian, Pan- Sebastian Vettel, not only did they get flags, they were given five-second time penalties for leaving the track on multiple occasions without justifiable reason mm. and the penalty point on their license. Wow. Yeah. If you they're going to do it, be consistent about it. Well, there's that. But I'm really kind of stunned. They handed out some points on licenses and Stroll wasn't one of them. That that was unique. That was very unique. Actually, it's a very good point. Thank you. I don't, I don't know how he managed to escape that one. I don't know either, but... <clears throat> However, that was not the end of the penalties. No, of course not. So what else did Grand Pen- Penalty give us? Well, your podium winners. The top three drivers on the podium each got hit with penalties and a fine suspended okay so charles leclerc max verstappen and lewis hamilton each received a suspended ten thousand euro fine for breach of park for may rules after the race now i watched the race because i or i watched because because i saw this about two laps before the end one where we were watching because we were time shifted um i was watching the end of the race and 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 the interviews and podium ceremony and this didn't this was not aired okay but apparently what happened is before and and i don't know if it was before the interviews or after the interviews before they went up to the cool down room but there was interaction between the drivers and their physios before they got weighed but that happens almost all the time and apparently drivers have been warned about it. And, and it doesn't happen. It's one of the things I was thinking about the other day. It doesn't happen much. We've seen it happen a few times. But especially since they've started taking those interviews down on the, the pit lane, we don't see it happen very often. But wait, that's, that's not exactly true. What often happens is that they'll park their car. Mm-hmm. They hop out of that car and they go launch themselves into their team. 
Mm-hmm. And they get hugs and fist bumps with their team. And I, I know this because I watch it happen with Hamilton all the time. Angela right. is always right there and hugs him. Hugs him. Does not always give him something. Right. But there is sometimes a hand of something. But what happened is that every single one of the drivers, their physio handed them something before they were weighed in. And that's the other thing. It's this is before the weigh-in. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Well, I understand that's a problem. But universally, the top three have gotten out of their cars, gone running into the arms of their team, mm-hmm. You know, talked to people. I mean, we've watched them. They're allowed to talk to people. We, we've watched them interact but, and do other things well, and well, hand stuff. But and, hang, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. It doesn't say that you're not allowed to hug people, that you're not allowed to interact with folks. However, that isolated area, you know, where they have the barriers. Mm-hmm. While, yes, the drivers can go up to the barriers and they can interact, including with their physios, on as long as their physios are on the appropriate side of the barrier, it's not a problem. Apparently, what happened this weekend is the physios were on the other side of the barrier. The only people who are allowed in that area are team mechanics with cooling fans if necessary, officials, and FIA-approved television crews and FIA-approved photographers. No one else is allowed in the designated area at this time. Oh, okay. The physios violated those boundaries and specifically violated those boundaries before the drivers were weighed. That's the problem. Okay. So we didn't see it happen on TV. And we don't know what, if anything, was handed to them. But the three of them got fines. It came about because the FIA media delegate saw the violations and reported it to the FIA. Hmm. So, and, and apparently... All the teams have been warned about this in the past, that this is not supposed to occur. The physios have all been warned about this. The drivers have all been warned about this. And basically, I think they've been told that if it happens again, they're going to start pulling people's credits. But we haven't seen them on that side of the fence that often. Mm. And that's the key thing. It's where they are around that fence. Okay. But in terms of the weekend of penalties... It's just one more to chalk up. Yeah. So, it's a heck of a race. This is, I think, the first weekend that we've seen this season that Ferrari had an answer to Red Bull. Really? And consistently had an answer to Red Bull. Really did. It was very, very impressive. It was impressive to see that they put it together. Um, that they didn't screw up their own strategy. <laughs> Ferrari didn't out Ferrari themselves. Um, it was it was good. And you know the the stat that they kept talking about was the fact that this was the first time that Charles won the race that he didn't start on pole. Mm-hmm. And you know you, you look at it from that other perspective of what's gone on this year is Max has more wins this year. When Charles is on pole than when he's been on pole. Right. Which is bizarre in its own right. 
Now, it's my understanding that when Charles got up on the podium on, on that first step, just before they came around with the trophies, he said this. I say to all the doubters, dude. <laughs> I don't think he said that. Oh, you sure? I'm pretty sure. Dude! I'm pretty sure he has a better command of the English language than that. I don't know. I mean, I think he says dude. I think he has a better command of the English language than that person. (laughs) Anyway, um, moving along quickly. um, That fire. On, and, and we still don't know what happened with Carlos Sainz's car. He said he had no warning. It was just he started to lose power and we started to see the smoke coming out of the back. Um, to be clear, watching the video, despite what Martin Brundle said, they didn't actually manage to put a chalk and, nope. and stop the car. He turned the wheel and it was wedged up against the fence. Oh, wow. That's what stopped it from rolling down that hill. Well, that was crazy. I mean, the fact that he had no way to stop the car to get out and Mm -hmm. the back end of his car was on fire. Yeah. Um, I started having the, ooh, we're going to have another problem on our hands. Yeah, that, that, I, I, I could see the car on fire rolling back down onto the track at that point was the vision that I had and thought for sure was about to come. Mm hmm. That was that was pretty frightening, um, but yeah, them trying to get a chalk underneath that that tire and it just bounced, bounced right off, off of it. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yeah. Um, there was a lot of action in this race, mm-hmm. and and I, I I wonder if because I seem to recall that I don't think it was Monaco. Monaco's another short lap, but didn't we have another short lap this year? Not quite as short as this one that the race was kind of exciting. And I'm kind of wondering if it's the fact that it's a shorter lap adds something to this race in addition to the layout. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know if that's... I don't know if that theory holds water. We've had races in in Austria that frankly have not been great. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of it is the, the design of the cars and the fact that they can follow now. I think the, but, the fact that they can follow, they can pass, um, there was some crazy, how many cars can we get in a row in a very narrow part of that track, too. Um, the well, three into five was kind of fun. But both Saturday and Sunday, we had three and four car battles mm-hmm. in at various points of the race for laps. Yes. Um so, I mean, there was some really uh, good passes going all the way through the grid. All the way through the grid. There was something fun and exciting to go through. Quite frankly, some people didn't get a whole lot of airtime because there was better battles yeah. elsewhere. <laughs> um, so, one of the questions I have, and you started to, you started down this path, and I distracted you, um, was Ferrari had an answer for Red Bull. Red Bull didn't, isn't sitting around going, Ferrari had us this weekend, are they? They've got another reason why Max didn't do well. So Max says it's because they were having problems with tire degradation. What I don't know, and, and 
I will we'll never actually know is Saturday if it wasn't for the fact that Carlos and Charles were having that amazing battle. Oh yeah, Max got sprint. no airtime in the sprint. It but was all if if they weren't having that fight and were just tr- running down Max instead of having to jockey with each other for position. Would they have caught Max on Saturday? And I don't know. Because hmm. that's a real question. Because Max didn't have a challenge on Saturday. But, I mean, he didn't have a chance on Sunday. Right. And I, I don't understand why there it was that drastic a difference. I don't, I don't know either. And Hamilton did really well. He did. Um... We expected that's a, if it wasn't for that crash on Friday, that's a real what if. Mm-hmm. They, and, and Mercedes used up a ton of their spare parts, so they were running to cobbled together cars. But it makes you wonder, given the speed he was running. So if he hadn't lost it in in Q three, he was on pace at that point for a P two finish. Or P2 qualifying, which makes you wonder if the car was intact and didn't have to be patched together, really what would have happened? I know. But think about his teammate. His teammate got in a tussle, had a five-second penalty. George was in fifth and... Dropped to 19th. Yeah, and... and Finished fourth. That was one heck of... Lewis was eighth and went to third. Right, but... 19th to 4th was one heck of a comeback drive. Yeah, well, especially since we, we have thought that the Mercedes didn't hold a lot of promise. So it, it certainly seems like something is coming together for that car. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. That's my hope. Because, you know, the circles I talk to are all having the will they, won't they, will Hamilton go on and retire, will he, you know, what's his what's his game plan here and i have a sneaking feeling if he thinks that the car is going to be viable next year we may see him again but i know retirement's in his imminent future i I think it depends on how beat down he is Mm -hmm. because i think his expectation i mean i mean really it's it well actually it's not really his expectation it's going to be the question for mercedes is do they finally think that they have mastered this zero side pod design and and can finally keep up or do they abandon it for a more traditional side pod design like everybody else has done yeah in which case then everybody really should look out so i mean yeah be, it's it's, it's going to be around Lewis's insight into next year's car, too. Mm-hmm. So Max says, and again, don't know why Sunday as opposed to Saturday, he said they were having problems with tire degradation and were having problems with it pretty much within the first couple of laps of the race, and it persisted all the way through. And that's why they didn't have the pace today. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Interesting. But that's what he says. It's that. So, the race was pretty good. I I will say, 
and, and I'm probably going to say this again when we go to Zanvoort. I don't like the Flyers. I Admittedly, don't. I don't have to drive through them, but I don't like the Flyers. I don't either. Um, I, I, I believe fervently that they're, they've got to be distracting. But from a fan point of view, they would back up and do crowd shots, and all you can mm-hmm. see is this orange smoke. And all I could think about is how much, how different is that really than the giant Ferrari flags at Monza? Well, and, and I want to be, you know, one thing we should be clear about is the flares have been around for a long time. And, and you mentioned Monza. It, it used to be, you know, when we were watching in 2012 to probably 15 or 16 or so, Monza was the one place that you would see the flares. Mm-hmm. But you'd see like three flares the whole race and they'd be at one corner. Right. And that's it. You know, and it was a red flare or a green flare or both. That was it. Now it's these massive clouds that are obstructing. Enti- I mean, in actually, it's, it's not even obstructing. It was engulfing entire. And I, I don't understand how that's enjoyable as a specter. I don't care if you're holding the flare or not. How is that enjoyable to sit in that cloud of crap? I know. Can't be healthy to breathe that in. Well, that too. Yeah. And I know Max is like, well, you know, I kind of, you know, it's really nice that they do that. And I appreciate the support. And it's Orange really, is a good color. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. Now, admittedly, we're not at the track where we're looking at it on TV. But it, it doesn't make me excited. And... We're going to see it as bad, if not worse, when we get to Zanvoort. True. But when it comes to fan behavior this weekend, I'd love it if that was the worst. Mm -hmm. It sounds like this weekend in particular, the fans were absolutely horrible. Yeah. And I want to be clear... We don't know who they were supporting, whether it was Universal on one driver or all the drivers. Or or everybody had some sort of poorly behaved fans, but there was bad behavior. I mean, full stop. There was just bad behavior being reported to the point that the FIA got involved. Let's call it what it is. It's hooliganism. It is. And let's remember that in Europe... Just about every one of their major sports has been it continues to battle hooliganism in at every single one of their venues. Mm-hmm. This is probably the worst that we've heard about it in Formula One, to the point that, as you said, Formula One put out a statement. We've heard that there have been complaints about racist behavior, about sexist behavior, about misogynistic behavior, about drunkenness you name it mm-hmm. it seems to have been rampant and you know I, I applaud formula one for stepping up and saying that this is this is unacceptable and, and we won't tolerate this you know I, I applaud mercedes and red bull coming out and saying the same things you know sebastian vettel came out and said that he believes that the, the fans that were involved should be should receive lifetime bans from Formula One. Um, Max, to his credit, um, he and actually Max in particular, 
he turned around and, and said that, you know, of course it's not good. These things shouldn't happen. I read a few shocking things. It's clearly not okay. I shouldn't even need to say this. I think this should be a general understanding that these things shouldn't happen. A normal human being shouldn't think like that and shouldn't behave like that. Which is pretty incredible for Max because he doesn't tend to make statements like that. In fact, mm -hmm. I honestly believed, because Max had not made that statement yet, to my knowledge, um, that there was a Sky Sports commentator. She's a... a name Naomi, and I don't know her last But name. she was a driver at one yes. point. Yes. Um, and I really love her. she's been a target, too. And, but I love hearing her commentate and, and speak about the sport and what what she has to say. because she's Very well-spoken on the sport. Very well-spoken, very, very bright. Um, but she, she called it. She's like, any driver that does not speak out, because these people, you know, the idea of mm -hmm. you follow a driver, if your driver tells you don't do this, that carries a lot more weight. And she was calling out without naming names that not all the drivers had condemned this as vehemently as she would have expected and yeah. i had said when we heard that i'm like i bet that's directed at max well i'm glad to see he did come out against it mm -hmm. but you knew like you knew the second that there was a whiff of something going on you knew vettel was going to come out you knew uh lewis, lewis was, was going to come out, come out. Mm -hmm. you know the second that they're they outspoken against it but and as, as much as I appreciate the efforts that I hear Mercedes and, and, and I'm not going to repeat the allegation that was made that Mercedes responded to, to make sure that the targeted fan um, did not have their weekend completely ruined by the experience. But I appreciate the efforts that Mercedes did around that and the FIA did around that and Formula One did around that to make sure that these did not permanently ruin the weekends for, for some of the victims. What I want to challenge Formula One to do, especially in light of the comments that were made on Sky today about drivers mm -hmm. condemning the behavior, what I want to challenge Formula One to do is for them to look at the tracks. Because Austria is not the only track that we have seen rabid fans behave and, and this, arguably, this is the worst that we've seen it. But we've seen rabid fans behave poorly. We have seen the Tifosi do it in Monza. We have seen, we have heard that there have been a few instances in Zandvoort. Although most of it, while they were rowdy, it sounds like they were fairly well behaved. We've heard in years past about issues in, in Silverstone. We've heard in Germany and some of these other places. What I would love Formula One to do, and I challenge Formula One to do, is for them to go to the tracks and say, look, this is a problem at your track. You fix it. Because if you don't fix it and we have a problem again, you're losing your race. And it doesn't matter how iconic it is. If your Tafosi aren't behaving, we're not going to Monza. If the Orange Army isn't behaving, I don't care how popular Max is, we're not going back to Zanford. If the fans aren't behaving in Australia, Red Bull, you're losing the race at, at, at uh, the Red Bull ring. Austria, you did it again. I said Australia? Yeah, you did. Okay. It's every year. Every I have to year. do it at least once. 
thought we were going to get through this episode. It's a tradition. But it's the, you know, we we don't care how, you know, how iconic your race is. If your fans don't behave, you're losing the race and all of your event fees are forfeit. Well, and that part, I think you're right. I think that they have an obligation, the race promoters, the racetracks have an obligation to enforce safety. And if it's a Mm -hmm. matter of, hey, look, we've seen that it's getting, hooliganism is growing at this particular venue. You've got a double security. You've got a triple Mm -hmm. security. You've got to smack it down and clean it up. Um, You know, I I think about this because we had this conversation when we were up at Road America. Uh, at one point, that track was not family friendly. Yeah, and that was you know, we were having this conversation about all the work that racing has done over the last thirty to forty years to really become more family friendly, and it can be done. It's not like you yeah. have to abdicate it. So, I think you're right. I think that's a great challenge. I think they need to to step up and put their race fees and their money where Mm -hmm. their mouth is and use their power for good we argue that they should use their power for good (laughs) so i'm in agreement with you i'll 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 tell toto next time i talk to him all right by the way um did you did you share the pictures of jack wolf at you mean a video yes he was all over the the Sky Sports. I mean, if they could catch a picture of Jack, they were. Mercedes shared Toto bringing Jack, and I don't know when this happened, but bringing Jack in to meet the drivers mm-hmm. and every one of the drivers that was there. And we didn't. I think the only driver we didn't see is like Max and Lando and Daniel. I didn't see Lewis. I saw Vettel and Carlos and. Uh, there was Lance. Well, the first the first driver that that they went up to was Vettel. Yeah, and Vettel was all excited, and and Vettel had like a conversation with yeah. with Jack. But it was a friendly conversation with all of the drivers. Fist bumps with with, with Ocon and a bunch of the other drivers, all with Jack. And I mean, it it was a really cool scene, and it's that reminder that as bitter as arrivals many of these drivers are from a team perspective it's also a bit of a family well it is and at the end of the day you have to remember that nobody understands what they're going through except those other drivers Mm -hmm. um they don't you don't get what that world is like um and toto's got a lot of respect and they bring their kids around they know these these Mm -hmm. are families you listen to Jackie Stewart talking about, you know, his girlfriend traveling with them mm-hmm. and the, the the wives squad that yeah. was formed. Um, that's that's a key part of the camaraderie of the whole thing. But yeah, Jack and his uh, Ralph Lauren Bear uh, hoodie. That was a Ralph Lauren Lauren Bear. I thought it was the Harrods Bear. No, it's the Ralph Lauren Bear. Oh, okay. Yeah, don't don't question me on. Okay. Iconic bears. That that was the Ralph Lauren bear. White hoodie. Very cute. But I didn't see Susie. Yeah, this is, the, you know, it's one of the few weekends we didn't see her. Mm-hmm. So our last story, we turn over to a little bit to IndyCar. A little bit, but a not really. Um, Colton Herta, who 
We know there has been some interest in getting him into Formula One in some form or another. Um, Colton is headed to Portimao on Monday and Tuesday of this week for a little bit of testing mm. on the track. Now, because of an allowance in the rules, remember, it used to be that testing, you, you could do unlimited testing runs in a two-year-old car. Right. Well, because there was such a significant change in the in the cars and the rules between this year and last year, team that's been extended to last year's cars. Oh, okay. So Colton is getting uh, two days of running in last year's McLaren at Portimao to prep him for a free practice one appearance this year. Oh, nice. We don't know exactly when that's going to be just yet, but this is to get him experience with a Formula One car with a Formula One team um, in preparation for an FP1 Audi. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes. And uh, yeah, that's all we got. All right. So on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.